Greetings and congratulations to the Toronto Raptors. I'm Ryan Rosillo. This is my podcast. Thank you for downloading it. Here's the plan. Normally, we'd never do this Friday deal, but it's just the way it broke, and that means we get Woj. So Woj is very excited to come on. And speaking of Woj, by the way, the Woj podcast has come to ESPN July 1st, just in time for free agency. Get all the information and reaction to which stars are going where. And guess who his first guest is going to be? Me. What's up? We think. I mean, unless he gets Bob Myers. I'll get bumped for Bob Myers. Although nobody likes Bob Myers now. So, um, I have so many things to deal with here. I can't wait to do this whole podcast. I actually was in San Francisco slash Oakland. What up? Uh, last night for game six. It was a last minute deal again. So that's why we did this Friday. Surdy's back in Connecticut. So yeah, we'll have Woj on a little bit later and kind of look ahead, but there's a lot for me to do. And I don't know where I really want to start. I should start with Toronto because they won, right? Well, uh oh. No, I mean, I'm, I don't know if I should have you on the podcast today. I'm afraid. Why? Uh oh. Just because, you know, we both. We agree too much? It's not even that we agree too much. We both like Golden State. Let's face That's it. That's fair. That's fair. Right. But I have some things that, uh, I, I just find the, the Warriors injury thing a little bit more interesting. Like, yeah, the, I mean, I, I don't know. The, yeah, but we start with Toronto. Okay. Let's just do respect. this. You start with Toronto. Respect for Toronto because, you know, despite all of this, I think it's always kind of funny. How all of this works now um, is that you know if you if you like one team or whatever. I've never hated Toronto. I think it's pretty clear. I've not enjoyed the Kyle Lowry stuff uh, over the years, plural. But look, that guy came out game six was on fire. Like we're looking around. So just give you some perspective. I did the hoop stream show pregame from the court. Really cool to be in that building. I did tweet out that I don't know if anybody's been to Oracle more than one game and it has zero wins. Uh, and that's me. So for Mr. Warrior over here, I've made it twice in a week for the first time ever and they lost both times. So to see the Raptors come out, like the greatest, there's so many different things about this Raptors team that I admire. One that when it's new, you, you, you saw a team that never really got that flustered. You know, whether it was the game four where it was like, oh, you guys thought you were making a run in your building and you're, you'd split and be 2-2. No, we're just going to make every single shot. Kawhi's going to make the right read and Ibaka's going to be incredible. And then Van Vliet's never going to miss. Like I was joking with somebody the other night. I go, I, I think the Fred Van Vliet scattering report says, ah, not that great. Just never misses ever. Never misses after it looked like he couldn't make a shot earlier in the playoffs. And speaking of guys that couldn't get things done, there were times where Gasol looked like, what was it, after game two of Milwaukee? Hey, you can't play this guy. Can't play him. Gasol was incredible. His defensive rating, look at some of those numbers. And he took the shots that he needed to, and it felt like he always made them. Abaka's putbacks in game four, his around-the-rim game in general was incredible. And then he'll hit you three. Siakam, who doesn't close the game in game five, comes out and hits all these threes in game six. Even even Powell at times, like, look, I'm not telling you Norm Powell is awesome, but every one of these pieces just adding something when it felt like they needed it, and Kawhi at the center of it where you look up and go, wait, he's got 30 again? Like, how did that happen? The whole thing was really impressive, and impressive from a newness in that, you know, this league with the, oh, you got to go through the wars, and I think sometimes it repeats stuff a little too much where it's like, well, the the Pistons had to lose to the Celtics, and then the Bulls had to lose to the Pistons, and, and that's the way it's always been. Some of that is true, but this year that just wasn't going to be the case because there wasn't this established that there was no standard post LeBron in the East, and yet Toronto played in this final series 
And coming back down 2-0 against Milwaukee, they played like a team that had won two or three titles before. So that part of it, to see it, is is just so impressive. And I want to get to some of the Kawhi stuff here because he really started doing some stuff throughout the finals and the playoffs, if you want to do it that way, historically, like stuff we haven't seen before. For him to go for 30, was it 37? I don't know if it was 35 or 37. Looking it up right now. Always awesome, always awesome stuff when I'm doing this. But I had it written down, and my notes are copious. Uh, yeah, he had, why did it block that out? Uh, excuse me, he had 36. He had 36 in game, four, zero turnovers. The only other guy to do that in the NBA Finals, this guy Jordan. If you look at the game score numbers, and you're looking through all this stuff, you're like, all right, who's had this big of a game score that, you know, has done whatever he's done in the playoffs? You're like, oh, it's these guys named Jordan, Hakeem, Shaq. And by the way, every one of these historical, like, context numbers for Kawhi, all these lists, it's like, oh, and LeBron did it not once like the other guys. LeBron's done it three times. Like, there's certain appreciation that you have a year after LeBron not being in the playoffs where you go, oh, that's right. LeBron's like almost the sickest dude ever in some of these playoff games. You look at some of the raw numbers. The win share numbers are nuts. If you want to start getting into the rental stuff that the ringer started putting out there, like who's ever been a one-year rental if Kawhi ends up doing this in unprecedented fashion, going there one year, winning finals MVP, winning the title, and then saying, peace, I'm out of here, which I think most people still believe is a reality uh, when you start doing the rental stuff and comparing his metrics against what other guys have done it's absurd how good he's been it's absurd how good he was in his first year and every single time you look through the game scores or just regular let's go traditional stats throughout the entire playoffs against Orlando 29 7 and 3 57% shooting okay wait a minute i'm going to go up against the sixers 35 10 and 4 with 54% shooting okay what about milwaukee 30 10 and 4 on 45% shooting he actually shot it worse against golden state but he was 29 10 and 4 with two steals and uh, over a block a game on 44% shooting which was actually 43% shooting that was low for him what he did was absurd and i don't know that this was so unprecedented. Like, I actually think pre that Golden State injury when he stepped on, or when Zaza actually really felt like he put his foot underneath Kawhi, like, this is the standing that I thought Kawhi kind of had. Like, he lived in this, and he reminded us again, and in this day-to-day status update of all this stuff, it's like, oh, wait a minute. You know, just like Anthony Davis after that sweep against Portland last year where you're going, is he actually the best player in the NBA right now? It might be true. It's kind of hard to argue that anybody's better than Kawhi Leonard. So maybe that's a different level and undisputed number one overall guy. That's probably new, but I always felt like he kind of lived in that neighborhood. Now, Lowry. Lowry, who I, you know, we all know the Lowry history here. It hasn't been good. Um, Canadian basketball reporters have found ways to try to act like this was actually the norm, and it just hasn't been. I don't know why you guys keep doing it. But what he did against Golden State was incredible after a series against Philly where he actually wasn't that good. 13 on 40% shooting, 23 from 3. And a guy who's playing 40 minutes a night with the ball in his hand the whole time, like six assists actually isn't that impressive. And then it really felt like he kind of unlocked it there. He had 30 in game one against Milwaukee in the loss in a really, really special shooting night. But game four is where it feels like he's been unlocked. He had a bad game one against Golden State, but the rest of the way, 13 good shooting numbers in game two, 23. The game four wasn't great, but he was really good in game five and incredible in game six. So Lowry deserves credit for turning around. It wasn't a narrative. Turning, I want to say even the story, because the story was bad. Those are facts, and the facts are now he redeemed himself against 
a Golden State team that you just thought, hey, what kind of Lowry is going to show up here? So the final thing that I'll say that's Toronto-related is now since it's happened, and it is an incredible story, it's Toronto's first title, it's the country of Canada, it's Masai's big bet, and what's Kawhi going to do, and all of these things working out, let's also remind ourselves of the reality of also what happened. Do not write, man, Toronto took a huge risk trading for a hurt Kawhi Leonard. I don't care how hurt you think he was with the quad injury, and I still think it was more animosity than the injury itself. We can agree to disagree. It depends on which camp you're in. None of us are changing our minds. I'm only going based on the information that I've got that was just a little weird, that he was working out with certain people and decided he didn't want to come back and play. His people kept pushing back the date. They may not have trusted San Antonio. We've been over all the stuff before. But did you really think like the first month of the season you're going, because some people did say it, so I'm not going to act like no one brought it up, but yeah, I wonder what Kawhi's going to look like. I mean, the guy's south of 30. Why Why did you think after a quad injury, even the worst quad injury, that he wasn't going to come back and be an awesome basketball player? And the risk was about the one year. The risk was not breaking up some Toronto team. So I've seen it written now like massive risk. You didn't know what kind of Kawhi you were going to get. Uh, I actually think most people knew they were going to get an awesome player. And they broke up this team by sending away one of their year-in and year-out all-stars. Yeah, you mean DeRozan, who's plus-minus, tells you that every team he's on is always better with him off the court and a team that flamed out in massively embarrassing fashion all the time in the playoffs? Like, what did you really trade away? So that part is a reach, but that part is what we were so good at doing, the dramatic storytelling and going, is this really true? I don't know, but man, it's a hell of a story, so let's go ahead with it. So that's where I'm at with Toronto, Saruti. Yeah, I mean, I'm pretty much with you on everything. The only thing I want to point out is... Damn it. I threw this on Twitter last night. I don't think it was that insane that Hubie voted for Van Vliet as Uh MVP. I really don't. Uh, And I I tweeted, I I, I think think comparing that to 2015 when Iggy won it over Steph, that to me was more ridiculous. Van Vliet was unreal for like, what, two, three weeks? He was unconscious. And... It felt like every time the Warriors were making a run, he had 12, up, 12 I believe, 12 points in that fourth quarter um, in, in a closeout game. This guy who wasn't drafted, who I believe they've described him as not athletic and not super skilled, but just, like, gets things done. You know, he's got half yeah, a tooth. Yeah, my scouting report. Not that good. Yeah, he's got, he's got half a tooth. He's, he's, you know, he's bleeding under his eye, and By he's the way, just that was, balling. Hey, Rosillo, you said that joke twice. What's up? I'm, I'm reminding myself. I still think it's nuts because I think the Curry thing that you're saying, which I agree with in 2015, is that um, Curry's the thing that makes it go, and that's why they won in 15. Well, and he, and, and he averaged and 10 more points per game than any other Warrior in that series, and you know, and Iggy won it for his defense, and LeBron averaged almost 40 in that series. So, yeah, that was a that was a very story. Like, man, you know, is there a way we'd make this more of a story? Yeah, let's give it to Iguodala. All right, cool. But let me do, let me just uh, I got more on Van Vliet because it felt like every single time the Warriors were kind of trying to do their thing and making that Warriors run and it wasn't always in the third quarter but every time they would you know get it to within you know shouting distance sure. he would just hit some three and you're like this guy is as clutch as anyone I've ever seen in in a finals or in in, in, a, in a in a late more playoff clutch than more clutch than I mean like this is like Robert Ory stuff here I can't I mean I feel like you're overstating it a bit but. You're right. I think it would be the kind of thing if you went back, and I'm having some problems with my mic here, so sorry if we're going hot, Mike. Apologies to the listeners. Um, it felt like, if you watch this series again in a couple years, what you said is, is how you'll feel. You'd be like, wait a minute, this guy hit all of these shots? And they always felt big. They always felt big. Like, oh, he like, he's got to cool off at some point. 
You're like, okay, Golden State gets it to three. Oh, they get it to six. No, you're back to nine, you know? <laughs> and you just go, when's, when's this guy, guy going to stop making <laughs> yeah. all of these shots? Um, so, okay, that's, that's the Toronto part of this. And, you know, the weird thing about the Maasai thing, if we want to do the Kawhi rumor, is that this Washington deal with the Wizards, that there are some theories going around, and I don't want this to get turned into something that it isn't, but some circles... I'm trying to downplay this as much as possible. Woj had that Maasai tweet. I mean, the Nets were still moving after that game, and Woj had the tweet out that Maasai was looking at this deal that would be $10 million a year from Washington and potentially some ownership stake too, which has been you know picking up the last couple of weeks. But some people feel like Maasai's doing that because he knows Kawhi isn't coming back. That may be a total guess uh, from people that are continuing to guess about the Kawhi thing. And as if you ask me today, like, where is he going? I would be guessing. And it would be based on other educated people's guesses. So the Clippers thing feels the most realistic. But, you know, was Masai moving on because he knows Kawhi is leaving? Maybe. Or is he moving on because it could be $10 million a year in part ownership? That'd be a pretty good reason, too. Or could he say, hey, if Kawhi stays or goes, it's still $10 million And I just brought a championship to the Toronto freaking Raptors. So every bet I placed... You know, I closed my eyes and put a chip on. Well, maybe it's not eyes closed, but I threw a chip down, and it came up on my number. I'll get to the warrior side of this here in just a bit. But first, as most of us have found out the hard way, getting into debt is easy. Getting out is hard, especially if your FICO score isn't great. Thankfully, now there's Upstart.com, the revolutionary leading platform that knows you're more than just your credit score and offers smarter interest rates to help you pay off high-interest credit card debt. Now, that's always the deal early on. You're like, oh, I'll figure this out. I'll figure this out. I remember I had a buddy, early 20s. He just started getting – he was paying for stuff before dudes even knew. Like, bottle service wasn't even around then. And he still found a way to run up absurd tabs. And I'd be like, what are you doing right now? You know, thanks, but is this really the smartest thing? And he'd be like, I got a couple things cooking. He didn't have anything cooking except a high monthly payment. So – he messed up his credit score. You cannot be like my friend who said he had a lot of, lot of irons in the fire. It was a really great line. I was blown away. I'm like, does this guy have like, what is he doing? What could he be doing at 25 that's like, eh, I'm pretty close to a couple things really popping. He had nothing. Um, Upstart goes beyond the traditional FICO score when assessing your credit worthiness. They actually reward you based on your education and job history in the form of a smarter interest rate. Upstart believes you're more than just your credit score. They believe in you, and they understand that. They make it fast, simple, and easy to check your rate in just a few minutes without affecting your credit score. The best part, once the loan is approved, most people get their funds the very next business day. The next day, over 200,000 people have used Upstart to pay off credit cards, student loans, fund their wedding, or to make a large purchase. That wedding one scares me, I'll admit. Free yourself from the burden of high-interest credit card debt by consolidating everything into one monthly payment with Upstart. That's really the best part about this. Like, if you're in a predicament, get it all in one thing. Get get right get on the right side of this, is what we're trying to tell you to do. See why Upstart is ranked number one in their category with over 300 businesses on Trustpilot. And hurry to upstart.com slash Rosillo to find out how low your Upstart rate is. Checking your rate only takes a few minutes and won't affect your credit. That's upstart.com slash Rosillo. Okay, let's talk about the warrior side of this because, you know, the thing that sucks is there was an empty feeling, at least uh, for me. And, I, you know, look, I'll admit, like a couple of us during the game last night as you're walking away going, congrats to Toronto, but, and 
I wonder how many people agree with that if there's more people out there that still just hate the Warriors or, you know, and I know I'm going to get accused of it like, hey, you love the Warriors or so low. Yeah, there's a lot of things I really like about them. And I don't know how you can look at this and be like, hey, whatever, man, like Toronto did it. And you go, yes, they did. But when you, when you have Durant for 12 minutes, Clay for um, three of the first four games, and then you lose him for the end of game six with a torn ACL. Side note, ACL, when it happens, you're like, oh, my God, he went down. We're all looking from the balcony. Some of the guys are like, he'll be fine. He, then he gets carried off. And then he comes back, and I was standing with the NBA Countdown crew, so it was Beatle, Pierce, Chauncey, and Jalen. And then they bring Clay back to shoot the free throws, and I'll just say, I'm not going to say who, but one of the people said to Pierce, he was like, hey, he didn't need a wheelchair, Paul. So that was um, that was a pretty good 2008 joke on Pierce. He makes the two free throws. I've had a lot of people say, like, man, that's unbelievable. I love Clay, but you can actually do things on a torn ACL. Uh, not play basketball would be one, but... Uh, you could walk back and shoot those free throws like Clay did. So I don't know that that's as crazy as the story of just another Warrior going down. And in the fourth quarter, the Warriors ran out this five. It was Livingston, it was Cook, Jarebko, <laughs> yeah. Cousins, and Draymond Green as they're in game six, the fourth quarter of an elimination game. So I, I'm not even going to do this soft pedaling. It's, it's totally reasonable to go Toronto one, but you've got to be kidding me with this Golden State thing. Like, like I've had idiot Bulls fans be like, I think this pulls that Bulls Warriors thing to bed. Like, what? Like, how do you come to that? Like, you're just a Bulls fan. So you're coming up with any information you can, just like the people who are anti-Steph. He should have made that shot. It was wide open. He screwed it up. We saw some limitations from Steph again that reminded us of some of the problems that he had in 16. When he can drive, like, he can still get around a lot of guys, but for him, he knows if he get a, gets around guys – the second help defender coming over, especially when you don't have to respect anyone else that you're defending in Golden State's offense, like he's going to get challenged at the rim, and he's going to get his stuff blocked. And it, it, There was a bunch of times in this series you're like, oh, that's right, he's small. He's really small, and that's why he has to settle for tougher threes than his ability to drive past guys knowing the second defender's coming and the fact that, especially once Clay goes out, there's no one else to even respect. So he had a bad fourth quarter by Steph standards, like I said, that shot, there's no excuse. He missed it. That's what the play was. I was surprised it was that cross inbounds, but then I saw some other people who had called that play something different, like Brad Stevens ran it in college, and that's what it was. It almost was the turnover play. Um, but he should have hit that shot. But the whole fourth quarter, go back and watch his possessions. They would send three people to meet him as he crossed half court, and two always stayed with him on any kind of screen. And as that series progresses in every Steph series, it gets more – like watching it live – it's unbelievable what people get away with in the way they defend him. So, yep, that makes it sound like I'm making Steph excuses. What I'm really trying to do is I think you sound like an idiot for saying, well, whatever, man, that's that's how it works. And then if you say, well, whatever, Golden State won in 2015 when Kyrie and Love, that's my whole point, is the 2015 finals result is brought up all the time as an anti-Golden State, anti-Steph thing. So you can't use that as an example of why you can't then bring up the Durant and Clay injuries. I wish those two dudes had played. I think if Clay stays in Game Six, they win. But you know, I went into Game Six thinking Toronto was going to win because I just didn't think Golden State had enough scoring and their defense against Toronto for most of the series was pretty bad. I mean, a lot of those Van Vliet threes, you go, why? Why do you guys keep screwing this up at the top and letting this guy reposition himself on the weak side and then he just hits these open threes all the time? So I, I've struggled with that, but I also know what it is. I am a pro Warriors guy. And there are anti-Warriors people in the media that 
hey, that team loses. I don't have to give any context. I have to give zero nuance. I just go by the result. He missed a shot. They're overrated. They stink. And this run isn't as good as the Chicago Bulls. And you're going, they're missing a top two and a top 15 player. Give me a break. Yeah, I just think I look at it as it's less on like Steph isn't good enough or Steph isn't clutch. It's more of just like I think you sort of saw the limitations of what like a six foot two guard can really do by himself, right? I think is that fair? Yeah, Kawhi can do different stuff. LeBron can do different different stuff. Um, and it's just like I would love to go back and, and run an edit of. Steph beating one to two guys on the perimeter and then having the help defender meet him and how bad it went. I mean, it went so bad. And it's different in the regular season. So if you want to do the argument that Steph doesn't live in that world with a peak LeBron, with what Kawhi is right now, um, you know, I don't know. I mean, Anthony Davis is tough to put him in that group, although he was insane before everything went weird this year. Uh I'd actually be okay with that, but I, I still think it's different. It's just different. When he's moving off of the ball or he sets some screen or he's a decoy, people still freak out and then follow him, and then it leads to somebody else being open. The problem is is when it leads to DeMarcus Cousins, Kavon Looney, Draymond Green from outside being wide open and the team missing nine free throws. And by the way, Draymond, what a weird game that was. 11, 19, and 13, but they weren't just eight turnovers. He had a Jay Cutler interception-type season in these <laughs> NBA Finals. Like, they weren't turnovers. They were picks. And I don't – I don't know. So that that's it. I, I, I don't feel like it's this – we know more about who the Warriors are or aren't after this. They're missing two awesome players, and they lost. So there you go. Congrats to Toronto. But here's the reality of the situation. And I think both are entirely fair. How many times have you seen a box and one on somebody, too, in the NBA? <laughs> I, I just feel like that's not... like that is, that is a compliment to Steph Curry's ability. But it's also... I don't know why teams don't do more stuff like that. You know, in the it zone... Wouldn't, it, wouldn't, it wouldn't work, with obviously, with KD and Clay though. Like, if you box in no. one step, that would just be like, okay, we're just going to snipe from three and you guys are going to get killed. No, zones now are, are, I mean, probably even dumber with the amount of shooting you have dispersed on some of these teams. But it's just incredibly hard to get free when you don't have to respect anybody else from distance. You know, every Draymond three-point attempt is a win. Every Iggy attempt is a win. Every Cousins attempt is a win. And, hell, I started thinking maybe they should run stuff for Quinn Cook. You know, for, for whatever you think of Quinn Cook – He's going to play in the league a long time, and the dude was never afraid. Like, he thought he belonged out there at the close of an NBA Finals game, which is half the battle for some of these guys. And that's why I actually am incredibly impressed with Toronto, because it never felt like any of those dudes were uncomfortable. You know, because I was talking to somebody before the game, and they go, I like Golden State tonight, and I like Golden State in seven. And I'm like, wow, really? Like, if you took the jerseys off these two teams, one is clearly better, and it's been Toronto. And he goes, yeah, but, you know, he's like, I just don't know. The new guys, Siakam, young dudes, Lowry, you know, Van Vliet in a game seven. And then instead, you know, <laughs> they're, they're Lowry and Van Vliet are incredible. And Kawhi, Kawhi is, uh, I think, as good as NBA, any player in the league right now of going and get his own bucket. Where even with the Spurs win against Miami, I'm not sure that you looked at him that way. Or maybe it was just us all needing to get up to date, caught up on him. Okay, let's talk to Woj. Before we do that, though, the Black Tux believes every groom deserves a better experience when it comes to running a suit or tuxedo for their big day. Did you know the Black Tux was actually started by two guys who had one of the worst tuxedo fittings you can imagine? Talk about motivation, right? It turns out they aren't alone in this frustration. Just listen to these 
one-star reviews from competitor tuck shops that shall not be named. Whoa. So this is throwing me off. This is the first time. I'm just going organic here. I hadn't done this read. I hadn't pre-read it, which usually means I'll screw it up. But they're actually posting one-star reviews from other brands. Quote, go elsewhere. This place is pretty terrible unless you're dressing like your grandpa for Halloween. Okay. I've never dressed as a grandparent. Um, quote, we felt weird buying a suit from somebody so unhappy we were afraid his bad vibes might follow us to our wedding day, so we left. That's that's a bit dramatic. Uh, one more. You'll be better off shopping for suits at Goodwill. Wow. Just went right at good, Goodwill and the crosshairs on that review. What I love about the Black Tux is that they have an easy online ordering process that brings your suit or tuxedo straight to you. Just pick a style at theblacktux.com or request a free home try-on so you can feel the fit and quality before you commit. And if online isn't your style, the Black Tux has showrooms all over the country where you can find your fit and plan your look. From there, they'll ship your order two weeks before your wedding so you can check it out one last time. Talk about commitment. You won't find a rental experience or designs like the ones you'll find at the Black Tux. If you want your wedding to be remembered for the right reasons, rent your suit or tuxedo at theblacktux.com and enjoy $20 off with the code Ryan. That's R-Y-E-N. That's theblacktux.com. Code Ryan. For $20 off your purchase, the Black Tux formal wear for the moment. Okay, I want to do as, as much informative stuff as we can, uh, and and I know that, you know, it's sort of this thing where, like, I can go, oh, wow, that's an interesting tidbit that you hear, and then in a few days it can change, and so that also makes me think, okay, let's not get too carried away with another couple of weeks to go here. So, as it stands now, this Kawhi thing is unprecedented, and then the Maasai factor in all of this, like, as it stands today, um, do you feel even remotely comfortable thinking you know what's going to happen with Kawhi? Well... I, I think, Ryan, the Clippers and Toronto, it's been largely the same two teams all year. I think he will likely take more meetings than that. But I think that the Raptors have been coming from behind in this one from the day they traded for him. But no question they've closed the gap. Um, you know, Winning a championship certainly is going to do that. How they managed the quad injury and then what became tendonitis. Alex McKechnie uh, did a remarkable job. He hasn't been talked about enough. Um, who's who leads the uh, you know who's on the staff in Toronto? Worked in L.A. with Phil Jackson for a long time with the Lakers, and I think he might have worked in hockey too. But remarkable. Uh, work by him, and I think he gained Kawhi's trust as the year went on, and that's no small thing to have for him to know that uh, that that's an organization that could keep him healthy and get him back, help him get back playing at a high level. But I think with Kawhi, with two championships now, two final MVPs, and I think a Clippers team that you know, can put a roster around them that would be very, very good um, and that would complement him maybe a little bit away. You know, you look back at the winning he did in San Antonio toward the end, and it wasn't a tremendous roster, but they fit, and they fit around Kawhi. And you think back to that third quarter of game one against the Warriors when they were up 20, and you wonder what the rest of that series might have looked like if Kawhi doesn't get hurt. Um, but... He did, and uh, uh, I still think the Raptors have work to do between now and June 30th at the start of free agency, and then whenever Kawhi makes a decision, you know, July 1, 2, 3, 
or July 28th, you know, drags us, drags us all through the whole summer with this one. How much of the Maasai decision factor into all this? Because I, I thought it was I, – I definitely was like, man, they just won the title, and there's there's the tweet <laughs> where it's like Washington is prepared to maybe offer this guy $10 million a year. Yeah. Well, it, there's no question that it will be impactful. I think Maasai's built a good relationship with him. That's not easy to do in however many months it was, nine months, ten months, nine months. Uh, that's not easy to do with him. He was in San Antonio. It took them years to get to know him. Um, not sure they ever knew him that well, or and I'm not sure anybody ever gets to know him that well. So uh, that what might happen here with Masai is important. Uh, I, I think if he were to leave, I think that makes it that much harder um, to get Kawhi to stay. But uh, I would imagine that would one way or another. That situation would get tied up. Would get there'd be a decision. I, I don't think that one will drag out too long. Um, if indeed they they you know they connect and talk here, there may be some semantics played <clears throat> on on Washington's side. They they don't want to get rejected again. They got rejected by Tim Connolly. Um, they surprised a lot of people. Given that they offered the job to Connolly, um, they could have been a little more aggressive financially and they would have gotten it done um or they might have gotten it done they might have gotten it done if they were a little more aggressive they didn't uh he has a great situation in denver and loved it there and does love it there stayed uh but washington was home for him he had come up in the league working there and so i don't think in fact i'm very confident they do not want another public rejection and so there may be some semantics that about how there may be some semantics in how they go about this in trying to um, uh, reach out to Masai, but um, he there's a reason that job is still open and we're like six days from the NBA draft and they haven't interviewed anybody in weeks. They haven't uh, brought back any of their final candidates, Troy Weaver from Oklahoma City, mm-hmm. Danny Ferry. You know, Tommy Shepard's been the interim GM. He's continued to just do, do the job, prepare for the draft with the Wizards. But the search has essentially been dormant for weeks, waiting for Toronto to get done in the playoffs. And and so now, it, but it will be interesting, Ryan, to see how it impacts uh, the Kawhi talks. Um, you, you would think the Clippers are enjoying that uncertainty. That That's probably, given that probably the Clippers and others who want Kawhi were cringing as they won each game and get to the finals and win a championship, um, I don't think they mind seeing Masai involved or, or potentially being involved if he, if he decides he has interest in talking to Washington. Okay, the Golden State angle on this. Let's start with Durant. You know how it is. Somebody's going to be evil. Somebody's going to be the villain. Um, I think that's what a lot of media members and, and certainly a lot of former players seem to want to think after the injury. Let's start there. You have a good relationship um over the years, like, what do you think happened here? What went wrong with the actual the, just the, the injury, injury, the plan, yeah. the rehab, and and you know, I thought it was interesting that Jay Williams was kind of criticizing the team. That makes me think, like, wait a minute, is that coming from Kleiman, knowing that Jay is doing a show with those guys and is close with those guys? Like, yeah. I didn't feel like that you came know, out uh, of nowhere. But I, I think, listen, in fairness to Jay, like Jay's gonna Jay Jay's gonna speak his mind, and Jay's Jay's got strong opinions based on um, 
his like his understanding of the league and the game and I, I'm not sure that they always line up and I'm just I'm defending Jay because I do I, I, I'm not sure that they necessarily all line up with what Rich would think just like any of us who have relationship in the league sometimes your sure. opinion might line up with people you know sometimes yeah. they're diametrically different because like you know none of us and so but that being said um, I I don't think right now that there's any great um, I don't have the sense that there's any animosity between Durant's camp and the Warriors. I, I think they've been in contact. I think they've been in communication. Uh, I think Kevin came out and said, hey, I wanted to play. I was I was in on this, too. Um, I think he said that, right? He, he, yeah. Yeah, so, uh, like, I'm always hesitant on, on medical issues to, like, like, I'm not, I mean, this is, this is a stupid thing to say. I'm not a doctor, and I'm not <laughs> studying. You know, I just play one on the Internet, right? right but I, right. I, I, like, I just, like, I don't pretend to to know whether or not, given all the specialists they had involved in this, all the, um, the, the care that goes into dealing with a high-level player, but even the kid that goes into dealing with the 15th man on a pro team, I have a hard time believing, I, I really do, that they thought for a moment they were putting him in the harm's way, that, that he hadn't legitimately been cleared. Now, you know, they were down to the wire. They were at the, they were 3-1 when he goes to play. Like, there was, this is the last day he could play. And I get it, and I think the criticism, I'm not saying it's unwarranted. I'm not saying, like, hey, you just get a pass on it. But in terms of intent, like, hey, let's go be reckless with this guy. We think he's probably, you know, maybe we think he's leaving anyway. I don't believe that for a minute because even if Kevin Durant was leaving and even if they felt they knew that, I'm not saying they do or believe that, <clears throat> the damage you're going to do, <clears throat> excuse me, the damage you would do to your reputation with your own players, the credibility with your own players, with future players, like it's not just that one guy who you're, putting at risk or, or as an organization, it's like, well, he's not going to play here anymore anyway, so what do we care? I don't think we're going to – I really don't believe in this day and age organizations think that way. Certainly not, you know, Bob Myers, Steve Kerr, like those caliber of people. I'm just – I'm not buying the idea that they thought they were putting him in harm's way. But the results are the results, and, like, you are open to criticism. Uh, I certainly don't think there was – a reckless intent to it. I, I don't believe there was a, a cavalierness to, um, well, this is our last chance with him. Let's just put him out there. Uh, Kevin had to want to play, and, and Rich Kleiman and his group, and, you know, they, they were they, they all went through it together. There's no question. Um, and, you know, obviously what happened was devastating. It, it was, uh, um, and, and it'll be really interesting to see how this impacts KD and everybody, you know. Okay, well, let, let me jump in there then. Does, does, yeah. the, does the injury actually, in a weird way, help the Warriors' chance of resigning him? I think it might. I think it might. You know, it's funny. What the injury did do, now there's a hell of a price to pay for it, but no one's ever going to hold up a cupcake sign at Kevin Durant again and pass out cupcake shirts like they did in uh, it was Oklahoma City, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like that's never happened to him again. He's got 
And no one's ever questioning his fortitude, his toughness. And that's not just nationally, but locally. I think in Golden State, like with their fans, I think they were always trying to figure out, like, how do we feel about KD, right? Like, Clay, you know, Steph's our guy, Clay's our guy, KD came in. And listen, they cheered him, and he was awesome. He helps them win two titles. Um, they're not quite sure if he wants to stay or not. You know, I think there's that sense of, well, is he embracing us? Because we're not sure we want to embrace him back because he might leave. And I think all of that is gone now. He's a hero forever there for what he came back and did and tried to do. And it changes. If Kevin wants appreciation, if that's important to him, he wants to be appreciated and felt like he had to go somewhere else to be appreciated. I don't know that that should be, I don't know that that would be such a strong emotion anymore because uh, the result of that injury was universal. Um, it changed the way I think a lot of people looked at him, and it, and it probably shouldn't have taken that. But but I don't know, it's just the world the world we live in. I, I think it did. Okay, now how much do you think that impacts whether it's a Kyrie decision, what the Knicks plan on doing, and you know how does the Durant thing impact some of these other things that we're all obsessed with? <clears throat> well, wherever he goes, he's a red shirt, right? He's a you bring him in if you're the Knicks. Excuse me, Ryan. If you're the Knicks, to me, now, if you couldn't get Kyrie to come with him and it was just Kevin alone, well, he doesn't play this year. You, you, to me, you tank again. You get another high pick, and you come back the next year with uh, try to go back into your cap space again. Uh, use your cap space again. Um, you got a bunch of picks. Maybe you're in position to trade for a big player who becomes available, or you're drafting guys, it's a, it's, a, it's a more difficult road with the Knicks to build a competitive team, especially if Kyrie doesn't come with them, versus the Nets, where even if Durant, let's say Durant signed with Kyrie with, in Brooklyn and mm-hmm. didn't play this year, that's still a really, you know, it's still a very good Nets team. Karis LeVert's a year older, Kyrie, and, you know, and if Kyrie misses his 10 games or 12 games with injury, 15 games, you got Spencer Dinwiddie coming in and you got you know a starting level point guard in the league you're not going to lose necessarily lose all those games uh so those are the options but you know if you're Kyrie Irving the idea of partnering with Durant well it's delayed a year he's not going to play next year and so I don't know how much it impacts his thinking I think he is pretty focused on Brooklyn right now and Boston is I think losing a grip on him if not already having lost a grip on him. Uh, I think they've known that for a while. And, you know, they've remained in the Anthony Davis talks. Um, and they seem willing to do some kind of a deal that's independent of whatever Irving does to try to continue putting a team out there that they think can win big in the East and see if they can pivot without Kyrie and, and see if they can cobble together what could still be a pretty elite team in the East. That still surprises me. It still surprises me knowing that, you know, there's a a clutch anti-Boston thing um, that could be rooted only in the agency and then also the addition of LeBron. Just, you know, he doesn't like Boston. And for them to say, okay, well, Tatum, Horford, excuse me, moving out Tatum, AD, Horford, Smart, Rozier, Jalen, you know, how much better are young guys away from Kyrie, you know, 
say Kawhi moves on, yeah, let's give it another shot. But it just would be, it even though Ainge is as I don't know if bold's the right word or whatever you want to say. Like he normally doesn't care. Like the, the normal GM rules, like he doesn't worry about those things. But it just would Here's- seem to lose Kyrie Tatum and AD in twelve months would seem like there's no way Ainge is going to do that. So here's what I think is different about Danny Ainge and almost every other GM. <clears throat> Danny Ainge, you, you look at Danny Ainge's life, he's always had leverage in everything he's done. He was the best athlete. He's probably the best high school athlete in the country. Was a, uh, you know, uh, could have played football, could have gone anywhere he wanted to play football, never mind being a professional baseball player and probably the best guard in, you know, it, it, the best, no, uh, first round what would have been a first round pick if he at the time was um, not saying he was going to play for the Blue Jays. Right? He always had leverage. He had leverage in professional sports as an athlete, um, and then he comes in and he's done a lot of deals. Uh, always, it's always always feels like he's able to do. He's been able to do deals from a position of power, starting with the Nets trade, which triggered. Like all the assets they got in the Nets trade triggered like more deals they did where they kept, you know, they did the deal with Philly, got more assets and, and won that one. But Danny's life has just been that way. And things work out for him, right? Like he wants the number one pick so he can draft Greg Oden, doesn't get it. Wants the number two pick, oh, we'd get Durant. Doesn't work. He gets a fifth pick. All right, well, let's trade for Ray Allen. And then, okay, then let's just trade for KG. And now we want a championship that way. It just always works out for him. So I think there's this confidence that it's going to work out. And Kyrie didn't work out. <clears throat> and while Kyrie hasn't worked out, I'm not sure. While there's got to be a lot of soul-searching when a player leaves, I also think Kyrie Irving wanted to come to Boston. Like, he had a list of teams he wanted to be traded to. And uh, the teams knew that. Uh, his agent, Jeff Wexler, you know, made it clear to teams who where he wanted to play. Boston was at the very top of that list. And then he decided he didn't like Boston. And he didn't like Cleveland, and then he didn't like Boston. And we'll see where he goes next and how that goes. But <laughs> Ainge is just generally undeterred in this way, and he sort of lives by this kind of, you know, there's a lot of defensive mechanisms around the league. A lot of guys, some guys work from, you know, they just haven't been as they're not Danny Ainge. They haven't been as fortunate. They haven't lived the, you know, and <clears throat> they're trying to get to another contract. Danny, there's a general fearlessness to it, and and so I think this kind of fits into that a little bit. Like, hey, Anthony Davis is the best player out there. I've got the assets to get him. Let's not within reason, not just giving up everything. But um, yeah, I do think there's a line in the sand there where they go, okay, yep, we know we're in a bidding thing here. Here's what we're comfortable with, and then if you want to just gut us with the assets, like we're not going to do that because they'd actually still important thing here if they're going to spend a year trying to convince Anthony Davis to stick around they can't then trade away all the good players and then not be that good <laughs> so I think that's that's part of the dilemma with that um then I well I have to ask you about the Lakers part of this because you know last year it was a really weird offseason after LeBron you're like what are they doing mm-hmm. the trade doesn't happen at the deadline we spent hours and hours on that thing and now that you kind of look at what's out there and the fact that Davis still wants to go there you go this is not like they would be the favorites right now you would be betting on this thing to happen how quickly do you think LA with the uncertainty of the rest of the west 
and I still think it's stupid too. Like when we do these power rankings and who's what. Like, can we get to free agency in the draft and see what these rosters look like before <coughs> we start saying the Lakers are the favorites to come out of the West? But how obtainable is it for them to kind of go into the season feeling like one of the three or four teams to beat in the West, where it's going to be more level at the top if they can pull this stuff off this summer? Yeah, I mean, if they if they get Anthony Davis, they're right there. Is the rest of the league, the rest of the West kind of you know the Warriors are going to come back to everybody and Houston. <clears throat> I'm not sure Houston will be as good next year as they were <clears throat> the last two years. Uh, and Oklahoma City's at a little bit of a crossroads right now. And I mean, we can go through the West, and like, there's no reason for. I mean, if they have AD and, and LeBron, and and then we'll see what would be left after a trade. There, remember, they were the fourth seed in the West when LeBron went down. They were playing pretty well, uh, so. To me, though, it's it'll be interesting to see how L.A. handles these trade talks here heading into the weekend with New Orleans because I will give Rob Palenka this. <clears throat> he negotiates from a level of great confidence that uh, when he's – all these trades he's been involved in where the rest of us would look and say, you might want to just get one of these guys. Like, you might want to just do a deal and get one of these uh, – get LeBron a, real, a big co-star – and he'll be pretty meticulous in who he offers and how much he'll put in a deal. And it's cost them. Um, with Paul George, it cost them. Now, Kawhi, I don't know if the Spurs were ever doing that deal unless the Lakers was grossly overpaid. But they never made a big offer, big, big offer. And so, again, they'd better get Anthony Davis here because they don't have another way to really dramatically improve their team this off season, um, and they're not a front runner for any of the big free agents. They're not a consideration for a lot of the free agents. Uh, but if they can pull off the deal with AD and have him, and and be able to hold on to some cap space uh, based on how much money they're sending back, you know maybe teams would maybe some players would start to look at them differently too. Last thought here: Is there something I've left out that's that's really interesting regarding Beal, a Butler? Uh, Kemba, you know, kind of your choice on this one, Woj. Well, Beal, they want to keep him, and they can offer him, I think it's July 26th, three years, is that three-year, $111 million extension, if I have that right? Um, but right now, they don't have somebody running basketball ops. Tommy Shepard, the interim GM, certainly I know values him greatly. The owner values Beal greatly. Um, they're not going to do anything until – they decide who the permanent GM is. You don't. You're not letting an interim GM trade Bradley Beal. That's that's not going to happen. I don't think, unless the owner decides he wanted to do it. Uh, Kemba is really interesting because I think his heart has always remained in staying there. I think his head probably tells him sometimes, not sure if I'm going to really win big here, uh, but he's that's been home for him and he's been committed to that community, that organization. You admire it in a lot of ways. I in, in lots of ways you admire how he has. What, I don't know if there's a single player in the league who means more to an organization than, than Kemba Walker means to Charlotte. You take Kemba Walker out of Charlotte, and that might be an empty arena. He just gives the whole thing a um, local, like regionally in that region, a lot of uh, credibility, and and he puts people in seats there, and uh, that will be interesting. And and then the Philly thing, Tobias Harris, Jimmy Butler. Are they going to, in the end, 
choose one over the other? Will the players choose it? Will the players do it themselves by how the negotiations go, where one guy wants more than they want to spend and they sign the other and the other heads off into free agency? That's an interesting one because Tobias, they gave up essentially three first-round picks for him if you want to include Landry Shamit, who was a rookie, but you Still, know he yeah. turned out to be a really good pick yeah, for rotation. the early yeah. 20s. Yeah. Hey man, I uh, I look forward to the new pod. Congrats on bringing that over to ESPN. And yeah, I'm uh, excited. Just let me know when we need to go, man. I, I'm pumped. Can't wait. Thanks, uh, thanks for having me, Ryan. I, I know we'll we'll talk soon, man. And just a reminder again, the Woj podcast that'll be coming out July 1st, uh, right in time for free agency. I'll be joining him and also the Low Post with Zach Lowe. Check that out and subscribe. I also wanted to add just a little bit more color to the whole situation afterwards. I know it's making the rounds, Masai. Uh, accused of striking a police officer as he was trying to go onto the court and he was asked where his security thing was. Oracle was intense every game I was there. Game four, I was there about an hour before tip. We were standing. Our setup was on the end of the court with like three other TV shows. We're right next to the jump. We had our deal. There was local broadcast and they were really aggressive about, hey, what are you doing? Like I had a security guard when I first showed up. I was standing kind of in wasn't even in the wrong area, but he just didn't want me there. He goes, you can't just stand there. I go, well, there's nowhere else for me to stand. And he put his hands on me and started pushing me at the hip towards, like, and I go, hey, whoa, whoa. I'm like, we don't, you know, while it's happening, you're kind of like, wait a minute, what are you doing? And I go, hey, look, I go, I'm supposed to be here. And then there was another thing where some people were trying to film something. They go, you got to get off, you got to get off. They go, we are supposed to be here. You can't just throw us off. And it was, it was kind of, those guys are overwhelmed. You try to think about the person. It's kind of like that getting your air, air, port situation like that whole experience right like if you fly a lot and somebody's going hey no belt no shoes you want to be like dude i do this all the time wait until i screw it up before you get on my case but think about them they spend their eight hour shift dealing with the majority of the people that don't fly all the time screw up stuff oh i forgot my belt oh i forgot to take out the stuff oh the laptop has to be out oh how come i can't bring this water how come i can you know think how annoying that would be all the time so if you try to think about what the other person is going through even though it's annoying to you sometimes it gives you some better perspective so the video shows Masai. i didn't see the best version of it i looked for it i don't know if he cold cocked this guy or not they're investigating it but some people are saying well they should have known better I'm going to tell you right now, I bet you most cops wouldn't know who Masai Ujiri was if, if he came over to their house with a pamphlet saying, hi, I'm Masai. I just don't think that they would know. And you could say after the fact, well, Lowry's hugging him. Why would you think there'd be any problem? Well, the cop doesn't know that at the time. So if he got up into his face and put his hands on Masai, then Masai, you know, I don't, I'm not going to pick sides here. I'm just telling you, even last night after game six, security comes up to me, our own ESPN security, and they go, do you expect to be going down on the floor? And I was like, no, I expect to be going home. And they go, well, we just, we've been reminded time and time again that you have to have a special bracelet on top of your credential to be allowed down there because the NBA doesn't want this thing to be out of hand. They don't want just a bunch of people walking around on the floor because that's what everybody tries to do. Like after the college national title game, it's actually really easy to get onto the field. Like, I've walked on it a bunch of times, and you just sort of do it because you're going, oh, this is really cool. I'm on the field right after the national title. And, yes, I'll admit in the beginning there was kind of this, oh, my God, this is so amazing, so amazing. And last night I go, I don't even – the guy was like, well, do you want to go down? He's like, we have six bracelets, but they're for – I was like, yeah, why don't we give them to the people that are actually interviewing people? I don't need one. I don't want one. It's not right for me to even have one. But the guy's like, if you go down there and you try to get on and you don't have this bracelet, like, they're going to remove you from the situation. Like, we've been reminded of this over and over again. So I don't know – 
Who's to blame? I don't know if one person went overboard. I don't know if both guys went overboard, but I can just give you a little bit more context that the situation was already kind of tense before any of it ever happened. And if I were the GM of a team, I'd expect to be able to walk on the floor, but at the same time, if they didn't see the credential, and there's some clips of him having it in his hand, I don't I don't know what the holdup was there, but that it also could have been the credential but without the bracelet, and that was the stuff that we were warned about. So you can believe that, or you can just pick one side and be belligerent about it. I have a couple other things I want to touch on before we say goodbye for this week. Boxofawesome.com, boxofawesome.com. With Box of Awesome, Bespoke Post sends guys only the best stuff, really, every month. They test everything in the Box of Awesome themselves, from style and grooming goods to barware, cooking tools, and outdoor gear. Every product gets put through the ringer before it gets put inside a monthly Box of Awesome. To get started, take the quiz at boxofawesome.com. Your answers will help them pick the right box of awesome for you. They release new boxes every month across a ton of different categories. It's free to sign up, and you can skip a month or cancel any time. Each box costs only 45 bucks, but has over $70 worth of gear inside. Get 20% off your first monthly box when you sign up at boxofawesome.com and enter the code RUSSILLO at checkout. That's boxofawesome.com, code RUSSILLO, R-U-S-S-I-L-L-O, two S's, two L's, for 20% off your first box. Okay, speaking of numbers here, the odds for next year's NBA title came out. And at one point, Golden State was actually leading the pack. And people were like, what the hell's going on there? Katie's leaving, we think. Although I really, and I'm, you know, like we talked about with Woj, what does the injury mean for Durant's future? But now the Lakers are the favorites at 9-2, to two, which is hilarious because local radio out here feels like they've actually clinched something. And, <laughs> you know, if they end up with Davis or whatever. But it does mean... I think the clay injury, as much as Durant moving on, if it's just Steph, you go, wait, like, what are they going to do? Because um, with clay, I still think they had a chance to come out of the West, depending on how they spent the rest of the money. But it wasn't like they could just use $30 million in free agency post Durant. The Bucks, so the Lakers 9-2, to Bucks 6-1, to Clippers 6-1. to If that Clippers thing moves, then that means, just like when Toronto, there were odds on where Kawhi was going to go, and then out of nowhere, Toronto, like a day ahead of time, jumped as the betting favorite. And, you know, Vegas is going to find this stuff out. So for free agency tips, pay attention to the Vegas odds on free agency because usually these guys will find um, – I think betters were the first time that I had heard through my source that remains unnamed on the Kawhi stuff going back to last year. Somebody was like, hey, have you heard anything weird about this Kawhi thing? So then I checked on it and was like, wait a minute, I guess it is weird. But um, the origin started with gamblers trying to figure out, like, what the second-half totals would be for San Antonio. Let's see where the Warriors are now. Oh, my gosh, they're buying the Celtics. So it, it sounds like Vegas threw out a number, and then people bet it differently, and now Vegas adjusted to that. I can understand why Vegas did it that first time through. Okay, last thing. I was thinking about doing some movie reviews because I've taken, I think, 20 flights in a span of just over a month. And, by the way, I will be going back to Connecticut next week to do the NBA draft. I'm doing it with Van Pelt on SportsCenter. Right after the draft is over, I'll be on the set with him a couple different times on Thursday. So excited to do that. I'll tape the podcast there next week. Maybe we'll just do an SVP and Rosilla one that week, too. I don't know. We'll figure it out. Mid-90s. Talk to me, Saruti. What about it? You didn't see it? Mid-90s? No. Jonah Hill's love letter to skateboarding? I have not seen it. That surprised me you haven't seen that. That seems right up your alley. I mean, I barely have even heard of it. Hmm. Apologies. You just, you just big Avengers guys? Like, you know, any time for independent film? Uh, what else? I'm trying to think the last thing I've, I even saw. It was definitely Avengers, yeah. You don't but, have a kid. What the hell's going on with you? 
Yeah, you know. Avengers busy. Endgame? No, I saw I saw Avengers Endgame. Was it three hours? It was three hours, yeah. Did it need to be three hours? Uh, probably not. And I actually didn't love it as much as everyone else did, but it was good. It was okay. Okay. Uh, I haven't seen it yet. I know what happens. It sucks, but whatever. I will try to emotionally get through it when I probably get it on a... I'll probably put it on a laptop, throw it down. Or I just... Like Aquaman. All right, so mid-90s. It's uh incredible soundtrack. You knew Jonah Hill was going to do the soundtrack. Up, Della Funky Homo Sapien, nice cameo at their little skateboard deal. I've never seen a fourth grader hold his booze and drugs as well as that kid does. That kid is one of the all-timers as far as being able to keep it together at 11. Or wait a minute, not even 11. Yeah, well, nine. If, if that kid looks like he might have stayed back, so let's just say 10. Looking up, uh, I think he's 13. Right. No, in the, in the movie? So, a yeah, 13-year-old spends his summer navigating between troubled home life and a crew of friends. I thought he was in fourth grade. 13 is eighth grade. For some, it's ninth. High school. Um, no. No. 13? Ninth? That's what I'm ninth just looking. Grade. This is what it says no, on, uh, no. on the interweb. Oh, no. See, normally we're looking up game logs and it's boring podcast. <laughs> Mid-90s, how old is main character. But see, this might be his real age. That kid is an awesome actor, though. Oh, my gosh, was he great. Sonny Siljic. Yeah. A 13-year-old. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Uh, another one that says 13-year-old boy. Well, all right. For a 13-year-old, he still could keep it together at parties. Let's just say that. Nine would have been... It would have been a little weird. So maybe that makes a little bit more sense. You party at nine? That seems a little... No. I don't know. No, I would God, nine. <laughs> Maybe if you live in LA you party at nine. You know? You're like a child you know, a child yeah. actor. I get that. You gotta be in circles though. Yeah, so it was um it was it was pretty cool. I really liked it. But now I'm not as impressed because I was like out oh, thirteen. I think thirteen's when you know you start it depends on where you live. I really do. But then again there's kids like that are out in farm areas that are getting after it. At a really young age. Nothing else going on. Yeah, because they're like, hey, I live on a farm. But then there's some kid who, like, goes to some day school in Brooklyn. And then that kid is like, you know, he's already divorced. You know, like, what are you, 14? Like, yeah, you know, didn't work out. She lived in, she lived in Tribeca. Okay, uh, that actually wasn't as great of a movie review. I wrote it down on my notes. I thought it was going to be better. And it wasn't. So, everybody enjoy the weekend. And I'll be back from Bristol, Connecticut, live. Pretty Well, it won't be live. We'll tape it. And shout out to Sharks Cove in Manhattan Beach. Uh, as you know, we didn't uh, we didn't do a ton of promotion for that live show. And we still sold it out, so humble brag there. But pumped to be doing that. A couple of surprise guests that are going to be incredible, not girls. So don't get too excited. 